Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the 120th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you into our world of financial markets and financial planning. So good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Mark. Doing it in the afternoon, not in the morning, buddy. Yeah, <clears throat> busy week for us this week, so just have to shift some things around and make it work. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, we'll take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on October 18th. S&P 500 up 4.15% for the month and up 19.45% for the year. The Dow up 4.18% for the month and up 15.2% for the year. The NASDAQ up uh, two and a quarter percent for October and up 15.6% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index up 2.9% for the month and up 14.8% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF X United States positive 2.7% for October and plus 8% for the year. Three month T bill currently yielding 0.06%. Two-year Treasury yield sitting at 0.39%, and the 10-year Treasury yield is at 1.59%. couple observations for, for, for listeners, Mark, when you went through this. Look at that 10-year sitting at 1.59. With all of the news headlines about the word inflation, 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 wouldn't you expect the 10-year to be a lot higher than 1.59? Yeah. That's telling within itself. There'll yeah, be more th- to come in future podcasts. I just want to throw that out there. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. I think it just goes to show that it's more noise than anything else at this point. Because listeners, the reason I bring this up is you got to follow the money. Mm-hmm. You can read all the headlines you want, but what do you always say, Mark? Price movement. Yep, that's right. It's the only thing that you can count on as being true because you know it happened. Second observation real quick. Look at those movements for the S&P in, in, uh, in, in Dow. Uh, in NASDAQ and the small caps, you know, month to date after a, a poor September, mm-hmm. quite a nice little turnaround. Yeah, it is. And obviously, you know, September tends to be the weakest month of the year for the markets. Generally, um, October, everyone's scarred from the month of October because of the 1987 crash. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but now we're going into a historically seasonally strong period for the market. Correct. So we have holiday spending season coming up. Companies are reporting Q3 earnings numbers right now. Um, So typically we get a nice little push or start of the Santa Claus rally, if you want to call it that, uh, into a strong period of the year. Well put. Um, Headlines and current events from the week. Last week, jobless claims declined to 293,000, which is the first time they fell below 300,000 since the pandemic began. So anything you want to add there? No, I think that's wonderful news. That is not a bearish statistic. Yeah. You know, I know we have some more stats on on job openings here in a second, but that is far from bearish. Mm Mm-hmm. Retail sales climbed 0.7% last month after a nearly 1% gain in August. 
Uh, this was coming from the government on Friday of last week. Economists polled by the Wall Street Journal had a forecast of a 0.2% decline. Excluding autos, U.S. retail sales were still up 0.8% in the month. Inflation measured by the Consumer Price Index rose in September by 0.4%. I think it's key to throw out there, and I'm glad you had that in there, Mark, because you know sales were up without autos 0.8%. But if you take out the fact that people are paying higher prices for goods, mm -hmm. it was up 0.4%. And even after adjusting for inflation, economists still expected a 0.2% decline. Right. Once again, that is not bearish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, last but not least, the government reported U.S. job openings fell last Tuesday in August from an all-time high, but even more noteworthy was a record number of people leaving their jobs. So the number of job openings across the country fell to 10.4 million in August from a record 11.1 million in July. Um, and that's still the second highest level on record, uh, just to throw that out there. And another interesting stat is that a record 4.27 million people quit their jobs in August. Substantial. By contrast, just half as many had quit during the early stages of the pandemic. This is the highest figures on record since the government began to keep track in 2000. So why do you think this is happening? I think it's a mixture of um, COVID fatigue, uh, people not wanting to do, say, mandates, people wanting to retire early because their financial situations are better than expected. I think there's a litmus of reasons, that, uh, reasons adding up to this. But one concern when you see this statistic, labor shortages. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things we need solved in these supply chain disruption issues is the lack of labor. That is the number one problem I'm hearing from businesses. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, I want to see these job numbers in the coming months to be eye popping. And I want to define that I want to see jobs numbers in excess of 500,000 each and every time they report earnings. Uh, I'm sorry, each and every time they report those monthly numbers. And this is a major issue. Yeah, yeah, it's a big issue. Because, you know, usually, <clears throat> in a normal year, you would have a uptick in people taking on new jobs with, you know, seasonality for holiday spending and all of that. But, you know, if we can't get the goods here that we need, then obviously that's going to be an issue. Yeah. And I think just, you know, going back to kind of the reasons why, you know, even within our own client base, Mark, there's so many clients that have reevaluated their lifestyle, what their priorities are in life. And they figured out that, you know what, working that extra three years is just not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to retire. I'm done with this. I want to spend time with family. Yeah, because that's that's worth something. Your time, you know, working another three years, you can put a dollar value on that and you can Absolutely. make a comparison Absolutely. as to, you know, do I want to spend X amount more in retirement or is my time worth more than that? Heck yeah. I mean, when you start putting it in in number terms and you're like you quantify it as over six figures, all of a sudden it adds up real quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to tweets, articles, and research from the week. The first one was a tweet from uh, George Marutis on October 14th uh, of this year. And I know that we've quoted some statistics like this before, but he uh, sent out a tweet and said, how often is the stock market positive? So over a one-month period from 1926 to 2021, 
This is all of the rolling monthly returns. Mm -hmm. Over a one-month period, the stock market is positive 63% of the time. That's pretty good odds. That's really good odds. Very good odds. Over one year, the market's positive 76% of the time. Also very good odds. Over three years, 84%. Five years, 88%. Ten years, 95%. And out of all 20-year rolling periods, the market has always been positive at 100% of the time. That's since rolling since 1926. 1926. And of course, I'll throw it out there, past performance isn't indicative of future returns. However, this data, I think, in my mind, proves that most of the time, it's a good time to invest. And we always get that question is now the right time to invest. And if you have a long time horizon, this answer is... In my opinion, looking at the data should always be yes. Um, You know, I know people tend to try to get too cute on whether or not it's a good time to invest, but I think the data is clear here that it's usually always a good time to invest. I couldn't agree more. Um, The next thing I had was from Josh Lenner on October 14th, and this goes back to uh, the supply shortages we're having and all these cargo ships that we talked about that were sitting on the coast of California for a while. Uh, So this was just last week. He said, don't look now, but the number of anchored container ships is down 20%. And that was from its peak in about the middle of September. So what do we say? Interesting. You haven't seen that headline in the front of the journal or uh, or Barron's lately, have you? I'm telling you, it's the Barron's magazine front cover <clears throat> just top ticks things perfectly it like does. this, that things are going to get does. better. And that's what I've honestly been talking about this with people. I'm like, listen, everyone's so concerned about the supply constraints and, and getting product in and getting the cargo ships off of, you know, the coast and coming in to deliver goods. And everyone is talking about it now. So in my opinion, it means like the worst is behind us and things are going to get better and things are going to moderate over the next six to eight months. Once it hits mainstream, in our financial world, it usually is near or at a peak. Right. So and another example of this was a a tweet by Javier Blas. This was on October 14th that back in April of 2021 on the cover of The Economist, it had uh, a a green picture and it said 21st century power how clean energy will meet or remake geopolitics and it's this green cover with a white power button and look at the returns of like clean energy stocks since then they have not been good they have not been good since the new administration came in and everyone thought that the trump administration yeah you know, there was going to be bad for clean energy, but look at the performance of the stocks during Trump's administration. And now with the Biden administration that they want to crack down and make clean energy a thing and get rid of the, the fossil fuels and oil and gas and all that stuff. And what has performed the top performing sector this year? Has old school been energy, baby. Old school energy. So it just goes to show you you know, this stuff actually works pretty good. If it you, really if does. you look the back in time, there's the covers of these, these, you know, economic and stock research magazines gives you a pretty good idea. I think of, of what's going to happen. And now most recently, the economist, it says the energy shock. So I wonder if now or around the next couple of weeks, 
going to call the energy top for the year. Yeah, because the the illustration on the front of the Economist I see here, Mark, is like a uh, like a stove showing a flame with like a um, um, like a Halloween type of like ghost ghost figure, figure yeah. in the in the flame. The energy shock. Yeah. You know? So if and I encourage people to go to our show notes and check this stuff out so you know exactly what we're talking about. So if you go to um, Twitter at Jessup Wealth or LinkedIn or Facebook, um, it's Jessup Wealth Management. Did you see, by the way, that Facebook is considering a name change? I have. I did see that yesterday. Which is interesting. I did see that. So The whole metaverse. Everyone wants to get the first foot in the metaverse. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. Is it really going to do much? I think it's going to be a big thing down the road. You think so? Just that whole metaverse in general, but oh, oh, the meta, okay. Like, I was talking about the name change. Oh, the name change for the yeah. Facebook. Yeah, no, no. Still the same company. Still the same company. <laughs> um, okay. Last thing I had was a tweet from our friend Ryan Dietrich. On this was actually back from September, September twenty fourth. He tweeted, as we noted at the end of Q one. When the S&P 500 doesn't violate the December lows in Q1, the rest of the year is usually extremely strong, higher 94.3% of the time. And we talked about this back when this was going on. Correct, sir. In fact, full year, the S&P 500 is up on average 18.4% when the December low is not violated in Q1. S&P is up 18.5% year to date. And again, this was back in September. It's more up like 19 and a half or 20 percent right now but this is a pretty good indicator i remember that we talked about this back in the day and so far and there's still a couple more months to go this year but so far this is looking like this indicator is holding up i think it's great and you're not talking three data sets here okay you're talking probably 20 data sets Mm -hmm. so yeah pretty good so I just wanted to point that out because we're going to be talking about this next year in the first quarter and see if the December low is violated. And we might be in another situation where we could be in the same boat or maybe it's looking a little different next year. So we'll bring that up next year, probably uh, towards the end of the first quarter. I think it's great. No, I think it's something we definitely want to watch, especially with those many data sets. More data sets, the more predictable or I think the more... Uh, accurate it tends to be well yeah and then the only two years where this is not held true and the market was negative or flat for the rest of the year was 2011 uh which was flat the market returned zero percent and then 2015 the s&p 500 was down 0.7 percent so given all those data sets i can take that virtually flat Yeah. yeah so uh i'll turn it over to you All right. I got three for the listeners this week, Mark. First is another update on the American consumer. Spoiler alert, Mark. It's not bearish, my friend. That's is that the fourth or fifth time you said that today? Uh, Maybe I should get maybe we should have Jenna get me a shirt for the next podcast that says that's not bearish. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I'm wondering I want Jenna to from today. We'll see if Matt's right or if it's take the opposite side of Matt's trade. The performance year to date of the S&P 500 from here until the end of the year. You want me to tell you? I, I, want, I want Jenna to remind us to bring this up from. Got it. Yeah. The date that we are recording this, the okay. 20th of October through the end of the year, because you said you said a lot of things of that's not bearish. So we'll see how that is the end of the year finishes oh, it's out. It's going to be fun podcast the first week of January. <laughs> it's going to be great. Jenna will be all over this. 
So, um, all right, here it is. This is um, a piece that was in Bloomberg. Uh, and this was from the portfolio manager of the BlackRock Global Allocation Fund. And uh, the portfolio manager's first name is Russ. And this piece of research was actually sent to me by our firm's director of research, Nick Whitaker, who's been a guest host uh, on the podcast with us before, Mark. And this is what Russ said. Title of the article in Bloomberg is Bet on U.S. Households. And this is what it says. Despite an unprecedented shutdown in the economy and a sharp, albeit brief, recession in the U.S., consumers are in the best shape they've been in decades. Labor markets have snapped back with incredible um, rapid pace. Currently, there are more than 70% more job vacancies than pre-pandemic and 10% fewer people looking for work, the largest gap in history. This helps explain why the quit rate is at a 20-year high. Household balance sheets are another source of strength. As a result of the surge in government transfer payments and fewer opportunities to spend during the lockdown, consumers have accumulated roughly 2.5 trillion mark in excess savings. Household wealth now stands at a record six and a half times the size of the economy. Debt relative to income is the lowest in a generation, and the cost of servicing that debt is the lowest in decades. In short, households are flush. That's not bearish. No, I agree. It's not bearish. All right. Next one I have. Jamie Dimon. He's the uh, CEO of Chase. He tends to be opinionated from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, he had some recent comments from a week ago that uh, I wanted to share. Okay. I'm going to read it first, and then we can unpack it together. That sound okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. This is what he said. Global supply chain hiccups caused by the coronavirus have put a damper on economic growth, but the problem will be fleeting one. J.P. Morgan Chase's CEO, Jamie Dimon, said Monday, quote, I should never do this, but I'll make a forecast. Dimon said at the conference held you by the Institute. should have stopped right there. Oh, I got to. Right there. I got to. I got to keep going. This is great. By the Institute of International Finance, quote, this will not be an issue next year at all. This is the worst part of it. I think great market systems will adjust for it like companies have, end quote. The pandemic has laid bare how interconnected global supply systems are. For instance, a shortage of semiconductor chips has hampered manufacturers of cars and electronics. You've talked about this a lot, Mark. And then the unwillingness for workers has, has resulted uh, in container ships idling at major ports and delays in shipping goods from retailers around the world. While some experts believe some pain will continue through 2023, Diamond has a rosier view, Mr. McEvely. He said that Monday he believes the economy is set up for growth over the next few years. Part of that is because of the strength of the consumer, he said. Quote, because of the strength of the consumer, which is extraordinary, they're spending 20% more than they were spending pre-COVID, Mark. And he quote goes on to say, quote, and companies are in great shape and they can continue to spend at these levels for a long time. Supply and chain disruptions may end up merely elongating the recovery rather than derailing it, Jamie Dimon said. So now that I'm done talking about what was said in this piece, two things to unpack here. And this goes for you, Mark. First, his comments about the consumer. I would like to say that I think Chase has a pretty good live insight into the consumer and his in, in, in his comments to me aren't bearish. Okay. Six. Okay. <laughs> now let's talk about his comments about the supply chain, which are more controversial. I believe here's my two cents. 
and let's see if you disagree or not. I'm in the camp that labor is the biggest sub issue within supply chain. Once I think you have more of a clear path in things like vaccine mandates and what going back to work looks like, because a lot of employers are still having their people work from home, Mark. Mm -hmm. I think once you have some predictability in that space, that will be the number one driver, in my opinion, to have things go back to normal in the supply chain world. My two cents. I want to see if you agree or disagree. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think that things are going to moderate sooner than rather than later, just because I wouldn't bet against America or our economy. And Capitalism. I think it, yeah, it, it just goes back to like what he was he was saying, you know, the economy's set up for growth, you know. We're in expansion more than we're in contraction in our economy. We're more productive than not in our economy. The stock market is higher than, or excuse me, is uh, there's more time spent in bull markets than there are in bear markets. So it's like, yeah, are we going to have bumps and hiccups along the way? But I think this is just a good example that, you know, over the long term, yeah, we're set up for growth in an economic recovery and in a job recovery and in stock market recoveries. It's like we spend so much time preparing for the worst that we don't spend time preparing for the good times. Right. Because most of the time we're in good times. You're and, exactly but, right. But, but no one wants to focus on that. Everyone wants to focus on the doom and gloom to get, you know, their clickbait. But and I, yeah, I, I think things are going to get better, you know, before they get worse. Extremely well put. I love I love your comments. I agree with them. And the other thing I want to say is you better believe in the corporate world, Fortune 500, that they are going to learn from the supply chain disruptions that occurred since COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And what I wanna throw out there is you better believe the next couple of years, there's going to be enhanced investment in suppliers, their supply chain, the due diligence that people do on their suppliers so they know where they stand on the priority list. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems people have right now is people are have to pick and choose which customer to say yes to and this will define their earnings for the next five years, mm -hmm. okay? And I know specific examples of this that's going on in the world, but imagine where you have so much demand and you're picking who you can say yes to. And when you say no to someone, they're gonna have a very long memory about that. Right. And these are the types of things that I think will change when we look back what COVID has done. I think it's going to make the supply chain better going forward my opinion. Yeah, I think it is too, because, you know, and again, the, the, the next major problem we have in this economy, we're going to learn from it again, and then we're going to be better for it down the road. Yep. So a good example of it is the, you know, the housing bubble, right? In mm -hmm. 07, 08, you know, there were things that were put in place after that to make sure that we don't get into that situation again. And that's why the average credit score on a new mortgage origination is above 750 right now. Right. And like you said, the same thing is going to happen with the supply chain. It's going to get built stronger. It's going to be more fortified. And it's going to be the same story with everything that we run into down the road in this economy. I absolutely agree. Yep. I got one last to be very short and sweet. This is from our friend Brian Fernaldi on October 15th, Mark. Very quick and easy uh, tweet he had. You ready? Investing is risky. Not investing is riskier. Mm -hmm. 
We've talked about this before in the podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why is that important to bring up? I'll let you, you said it before. I'll let you do it. Well, yeah, I think it's important to bring up because like you said, everyone's talking about inflation right now. And yeah, we're seeing a little more inflation than we have over the past decade. But that's why you invest in the first place is you invest and have some good market returns when inflation is moderated. But you build that up to deal with times like we're in right now. That's why we invest in the first place is to protect your purchasing power. Yeah. And I guess I'll just throw this out there talking about, you know, bond rates earlier when we first started the podcast, Mark. A lot of our listeners may not understand that the bond market is a lot bigger in dollar uh, size in the stock market. Hence, it is harder to move the bond market than it is the stock market, mm-hmm. just based upon the numbers. And if the big, big money really thought that inflation was A, going to get out of control, or B, sustained, I'm sorry, you would not see a 10-year at 1.59. I'm sorry, you wouldn't. Yeah, I, I don't think you would either. Um, don't. So... Yeah. And, you know, this is something that comes up in discussion between us a lot. But, you know, I don't I I couldn't put it a better way because you're doing yourself a disservice if you're if you're not investing. Again, I think people just focus on short, shorter term um, risk. I think that they categorize risk within, say, the bond market or the stock market and they oversimplify what that means. And they don't realize that over time, the silent killer, and I've said it before, is inflation. Mm-hmm. And just because your balance at the bank account for the last decade hasn't changed from 50000 doesn't mean it buys the same amount of goods and services. Right. Man, that's a perfect way to say it. All right, yeah. my friend. Back to you for the financial planning topic of the week, the old FPT. <laughs> FPT. So this one comes from a blog post on the College Investor uh, titled, The Five Easiest Money Saving Phone Calls. And I've been getting a lot of questions recently uh, from younger generations about, you know, easy ways to save money. And while I'm a big proponent of focusing like on the big things, you know, I just wanted to share this article for people who want to cut back a little bit that they can do it very quickly and pretty painless. Right. So uh, I want to just read a couple of the things that they go through here. And this is one that I've mentioned before, um, and it's calling your credit card issuer. So if you're carrying a balance on your credit card, just call and see if they will lower your interest rate. Nine out of 10 times, they'll offer you a discounted rate for a period of time. That's a quick and easy savings. Of course, this isn't going to work 100% of the time. If for some reason they won't lower your rate, look at getting another card. So that's, you know, one which I'm a, obviously a huge proponent of paying your balance off every month. Um, but if you are in that situation, again, the worst thing they can say is no. It's Correct. worth the call. Uh, number two is calling your insurance provider. So the next phone number on our list of easy saving money phone calls is your car insurance company. See what the current rates are and if you qualify to have yours reduced. Also, have any of your circumstances changed? Do you garage your car now? Did you get an alarm? If you tell your agent, you usually qualify for a discount. So, and the other last thing that I'll put in here is that if you have like homeowners and renters insurance or or renters insurance and car insurance, bundle it together because you typically get a discount, right? Absolutely. Number three is a pretty obvious one is calling your phone or cable company. 
With all the competition in these markets, especially from online streaming services, many providers are concerned about losing customers and will offer incentives to stay. Again, this won't work every time and you shouldn't threaten to close an account unless you're truly willing to walk away. So that's the other thing, that's that, I the wanna, thing right there. that I want to throw out there is that, you know, you better be willing to, to walk away if you're going to threaten you're going to. And if they're like, well, it was nice having you as a customer, you got to be ready to do that or have a backup plan of what you're going to do next. Bingo. Um, number four, which I thought was interesting. I haven't even thought about this before is calling your county assessor. Finally, if you're a homeowner, you should call your county assessor and see if your property taxes can be lowered. Many counties have a streamlined process for handling appeals. Call your local office to find out how things work in your local area. A quick phone call could save you thousands. Number five is a bonus, and they say, let someone else make the call for you. The easiest of all money-saving phone calls is the one that you don't have to make at all. Luckily, there are a few services out there happy to tackle the to-do list for you. A few popular services that can help you find savings include Truebill, Cushion, and Trim. Each will negotiate your bills on your behalf so that you can enjoy the benefit of lower costs without ever having to pick up the phone. I've heard about that. I've heard of the first one before. Yeah, so it makes it pretty easy nowadays. And again, while I think people should focus on bigot ticker ticket items other than what's in this article i think especially for people who are younger that are looking to save just a couple hundred bucks even if that is to free up a couple hundred bucks a month to contribute to a 401k or an ira these are easy phone calls to make that will literally take you less than 10 minutes so i have a random uh, thing i want to add to this as an idea so um, last night i had a uh, a meeting and this individual was a realtor Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they also own several investment properties. The, I don't know how the topic came up, but um, the person said to me, we have multiple insurers for these homes. And she, uh, she said to me, do you want to know why? I said, yes. She goes, she's heard of instances where people have owned, let's say, seven or eight different uh, investment properties under one insurer. And a fire happened in one of the properties and they dropped them in all of the rest. They paid the claim oh. and they dropped all their properties, their primary residence and all their investment properties. And then it was quite a challenge I heard to go out and get another insurance company to take them on. Really? And so the idea that that she threw out there is, you know, if you have clients with a large, a good number of investment properties, they might want to consider diversifying insurers. I thought it was a, it was a good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. It might be a little more expensive up front, but, but it, it hedges your protection that if something you know they happen. drop you, you can go to the other one who has a track record with you. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting idea. I've never heard about that before. Yeah, me neither. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, anything else before we leave it there for the week? Yeah, I do actually. I'm, te- <laughs> I'm teed up, baby. I, I am. I'm ready for this podcast. So here's my zinger, listeners, and this is why you listen to the podcast. So headline last night, I'm going to read it. Ready? This is on CNBC, published. Record shortages, shipping delays expected this holiday season. Out-of-stock messages online are expected to be up 172% this holiday season compared to 2020 levels and up 360% on a two-year basis. This is according, they quote it, uh, Adobe Analytics. 
And the last thing I'll say, the apparel category is forecasted to have the highest out-of-stock levels, Adobe said, followed by sporting goods, baby products, and electronics. So what's the message we've been saying for how many months? Shop early. Yeah. There's going to be inventory problems, people. Yeah, I... I wonder how this is going to look because now it's like, it's like, okay, it's on CNBC, it's on the cover of Barron's, on The Economist. It's just like, I don't know. It's like leaning me to believe that things are going to be okay. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's because we're programmed. Anything that's widely telegraphed usually doesn't happen. Right. And maybe <laughs> it's just the, maybe it's the aspect of it that. Maybe there's not going to be as good of deals this year as there usually are because yeah, what's, adjust for the inventory they have and adjust right, the price. Because what's the incentive you for know, them to give you a discount? Right, it's not there. Right, because usually they have a you know it's a, not like you can go to your competitor of, and get the and get it. They don't have it either. Right, so that my that could look different. Yeah, I wonder how this is all going to play out. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I talked to multiple people over the past month that have purchased new cars, and in one instance, they paid ten percent over MSRP. When's the last time you've heard of a person buying a new car and they've paid a premium on MSRP? Yeah, that's brutal. Two people have told me they've paid. One was over uh, double digits, one was single digits, but they're paying over MSRP and stuff. So if it can happen in cars, it can happen elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, all right. Well, we will leave it there for the week. And thanks, everyone, for listening to episode number 120 of the Independent Advisors podcast. We hope you all have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.